0: This is Brad Warren, co host uh, with the late, great Thane Tinson of the Changing Waters podcast on the American Shoreline Podcast Network, uh, produced in collaboration with the National Fisheries Conservation Center, which I run. I am very happy today uh, to present to you an interview with Suzanne Uticello, uh, who is an old, dear friend, one of our board members at NFCC, and a. Uh, nationally renowned expert on fishery management and conservation. Suzanne is one of the co-authors of a new uh, tool called the Fisheries Governance Tool that is designed to help people resolve a problem that's been kind of time-honored. Who says a fishery is well-managed or is a wreck? Uh, Who gets to make that call? Uh, Do you have tools that you can objectively use to make that decision? Uh, What if uh, uh, some bossy know-it-alls from somewhere else come along and tell you uh, that you have to do it differently. Uh, are, are, they, are they necessarily right? Or is your area able to call its own shots and develop its own rigorous review? Those are the kinds of questions that, uh, more politely asked, uh, went into the making of this tool and Suzanne is here to tell us about how she and the team at uh, MRAG Americas built this what it's for, and how it uh, uh, can be used uh, around the world. Uh, With that, here is my interview with Suzanne Iudicello. Suzanne, uh, before we get into the details, uh, let's just forget that we've known each other since I think Methuselah was knee-high to an oyster. Uh, What do you tell people When some new program officer at a foundation, for example, shows up in a marine conservation meeting, calls you out on the Zoom screen and says, usually more politely, I'm sure, and who the hell are you?
1: Well, um, knee-high to an oyster. You needn't, you know, make fun of short people. But um, (laughs) I am an independent researcher-writer. Um, sometimes policy analyst. I've been doing that uh, for 40 years in the environment and natural resources area in places as far from each other as Alaska and Washington, D.C. And right now I'm, as you know, on the shores of the Cretaceous Sea.
0: Mm -hmm. And if if I recall right, when I first met you, you were something like senior vice president or senior counsel for what's now Ocean Conservancy in D.C. So you've kind of worn some some hats in the center of the action. And uh, you've want, become one of the consultants who um, fishery management institutions, major foundations, folks like that lean on to help sort out the road ahead. Uh, is that fair to say?
1: Um, uh, yes, that is. And, um, you know, I've worked for state fishery managers i've worked for a governor on ocean issues um i i was working for the alaska governor when the exxon valdez went on the rocks Um, i've worked for advocacy groups like um, it was then center for marine conservation now ocean conservancy but i you know i also consult for um, um, industry um, groups and and fishing stakeholders and communities and, and so on. Um, I like to be you know, available to whoever thinks they could use my knowledge.
0: Right, and I'm proud and grateful to report that you've served on the board of the National Fisheries Conservation Center, which I've been involved with for a long time. And uh, thank you uh, for, for that. Um, for as long as I've known you, you've been working to strengthen sustainability in fisheries. Give me the big picture. Is the world running out of fish?
1: No, despite that Netflix um what is that c, c- sea or something that they're that they're running. Um no, we're not running out of fish. Um there were some periods of time in the eighties when things were looking a little bleak, but um you know management measures um have improved um things are on a somewhat even keel um but you know there are there are bigger threats than than running out of fish um to this planet
0: right now as you Mm -hmm. well know let's come back to that because i think those tie in um but um it it actually maybe it kind of comes up in this next question i mean it it isn't the old way of fixing fisheries when they're busted just to say well you know you caught too many just catch less and it'll all bounce back and what's what's wrong with that
1: um well um catch too many you know is is a that is how we have done it fishery management is managing humans not managing fish um so um that worked for a while, and and some things did bounce back. Bounce back, and we have, um, you know, we have examples that we can look at and say, "Oh, look at that!" You know, they bounce back. Uh, you know, some groundfish, red snapper, um, tuna. You know, but but that's not the only thing that's operating. You know, human predation <laughs> on on wild fish um, is not the only thing, and uh, climate is the big one. Um, it affects where the fish are, where their prey species are, whether the water quality and temperature can sustain them. Um, And so, you know, while we're managing people, um, you know, we've moved along some, you know, pretty well. certainly, you know, in the U.S. um, to start thinking about... Ecosystems and ecosystem-based fishery management, but that's uh, that's kind of about managing our response to wicked big problems. You know, we can't manage ecosystems. We can try to understand how they operate and then adapt as they change because of the shifts in climate. Um, and you know, we we have many lessons um, on that over the history of fishery management with um, things like El Nino and the Pacific oscillation you know we know there are years when Alaskan fisheries have more of one species than another oh it's you know it's groundfish not Pollock and then another year it's Pollock not groundfish and and you know we've learned a lot of things but um the rate and pace and intensity of um Change in the ocean because of climate is it's it's a big problem and it's yeah. outrunning us.
0: Yeah, uh, this is this gets to something I hadn't planned on asking you about, but we'll go ahead and go there and then circle back. But uh, if it, would you define uh, the the climate challenge as now central to the future of fishery conservation and management?
1: Um. <laughs> it's kind of of central to life on earth (laughs) so there's that um and you know it's it's you know certainly fishery management and sustainable fisheries and providing food and and livelihoods for coastal communities and the world um are all you know part of that um i think you know it's um it's one of those things where you know, we can tweak around with fishery man- management systems and we can try to have climate-ready fisheries and have these adaptive plans where we respond to ecosystem things. But it's kind of, to quote a former colleague of mine, um, mm-hmm. it's like rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic, you know, if, yeah. if, if you don't get a hold of the drivers of, you know, the the big changes in climate, um, then right. tweaking fisheries isn't going to do much.
0: Yeah, we're on the same page, of course, on that. I mean, it, it, we must adapt, but we can't pretend that that alone is sufficient. I, I, I'm with you on that. Um, I, I, want, I want to s- s- ask you about the, the fisheries governance tool, and I, just for context, I mean you. you we worked on this for a long time, funded by Walton Foundation, the philanthropic arm of the family behind Walmart, which is one of the largest of investors, of course, in global efforts to improve fishery sustainability. Um, and that itself is not the whole story. They, that the whole Walmart, Walton Family Foundation drive is part of a whole family of many organizations pursuing this goal. And you know, at the heart of it, they've got major market power from big buyers like Walmart being used to drive improvements. There's all these people working on it all over the world, trying to make sure the we don't wear out fisheries that are feeding billions of people. And Walton Foundation, after investing millions in this effort, commissioned you and a team from MRAG Americas, one of the major fisheries consulting firms, to build something called the Fisheries Governance Tool. What were they asking you to help them figure out?
1: At the outset, um, the uh, strategy, evaluation and learning side of the foundation um, and and all foundations have them, I guess corporations do too, um, they were trying to um, find a rubric to evaluate whether the investments the foundation was making were in the right place, with the right people, on the right topics, so that they could see return on investment. Because you know, foundations, yes, are philanthropic and they and they give money to good causes. But you know, what's the point if they're just throwing good money after bad? So, so they wanted to know, and, and they were at the time um, investing in. And helping projects in um, the U.S. in fishery policy, uh, Indonesia, Chile, Peru, and Mexico. And they wanted to know how it was going. You know, because of course their grantees are going to report back, you know, everything's great. We've made this progress. You know, we got a a change in this regulation or we got this new turf designated. It's really great. Um, But there wasn't a, a big framework in which they could say you know what what was the difference that that made you know is there leverage to make other things happen or is this just a one off right. um, so so they were looking for something that was analytic that was repeatable that was um you know, a, a system that could be used over and over again to, to see if they were making their goals, something that they could distill and report to their board and saying, we put this much money into these uh, projects and here's where they succeeded and this is why we think they made progress.
0: Yeah. Now, having said that, I, I, I think this is actually more than a fancy bean counting tool. It's not just a way to tell whether they get banged for their buck. It's it does more than that.
1: Yes. Um, um as with many, many projects, we <laughs> we had mission creep. <laughs> um and we you know we came pretty quickly to uh coming up with a way to you know give them some performance measures you know, to say, well, you put this in and, and this is what you got back. Um, but in the course of doing that, and, and my colleagues and I, um, and I'm going to call them out by name, uh, some of them you know, Bob Trumbull, Graham Parks, and Jill Swayze, um, all of MRG. Um, so it, it occurred to us as we were, you know, plugging along with it that um, – This that what we had come up with was more like a diagnostic tool than a, you know, than an audit to see if if you made your money, (laughs) and um, and we were. Pushed even further down that path by a group of wonderful volunteers who um, came to uh, D.C. on a snowy November day um, from Chile and Mexico and the Pacific Islands and England <laughs> um, to sit down and critique this thing for us. Um, so we and we had a lot of. Um, pushback and a lot of um, insight and experience from these folks uh, who are from all over the world and, you know, at different levels, you know, advocacy groups and actual fishery managers and government officials. Um, And, and they said, you know, this, this really is more than what the foundation needs. We could use this. We could put this on a cell phone in Indonesia and do it. This is just an Excel spreadsheet, man. Let's go for it. Um, and, uh, and so that, uh, that got us started down you know, a, a more expansive path to, to creating a diagnostic tool that could be free, downloaded from the internet, used by anybody, um, a fishery manager, a stakeholder, an advocate. Uh, policy wonk or foundation policy uh, program officer
0: yeah and is 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 part of what excited them this is something that i think i'm seeing in many cases now this idea that you can use this tool to define autonomous sort of self-determined fishery improvements um you know, pathways to, to increasing sustainability that people define for themselves.
1: Um, th- yes, that that is, um, autonomy is a great word to use uh, in conjunction with this tool. Um, I think, you know, we need to, you know, fully disclose that um, we are not, um, the authors of this are not, you know, originators of any of these ideas. We spent, years digging deep into all of the analyses and frameworks and mechanisms and certification schemes and and so on and so on and and we stand on the shoulders of many others who went before us um anderson melnichuk msc gssi and i I know i'm throwing out a lot of initials here but um fish folk will know
0: major organizations others that, that have been key to defining the modern kind of buyer muscle powered uh fishery improvement exactly. world around largely kind of inspired by the marine stewardship standard
1: right and and while um we uh fully acknowledge um you know the the foundations laid by those uh, organizations and fishery improvement plant projects and so on and so on, um, what started to come clear to us as we talked to, um, especially, you know, the reviewers was, you know, we, we can't afford an MSC um, certification or it's too small or we're not a rule-based system. You know, this is a collaborative community-based management or you know there, there were just all of these possibilities and ranges of systems yes there are constitutional ones and you can go look at their laws. There are collaborative ones um, there are operational ones where you, you know everything is specified in the license or you know there are turfs you know there, there are all these systems that fishers and their communities use to keep things, on the up and up and (laughs) and sustainable and and enforceable and so on and and so um you know the the frameworks that just impose you know look at this policy and this law do you do you prohibit bycatch and do you do this and do you have a a harvest rule and do you you know have a stock assessment wasn't all that we wanted to look at and and so we you know we branched out into a more of a like a you know the classic three-legged stool of yes you got to look at the governance the policy stuff but you also got to look at is there uh, are there enabling factors and and are there the resources and the capacity to do what the law tells you to do or is this just a paper park you know did, did did this Designation of you know a protected area just appear on a on a law, or is there actually money for boats and money for research and money for science and money you know so so that was the second legs capacity you know does does the management system have the wherewithal to do what the policymakers want them to do, and then the last part was um, what about people you know are they making a living are they safe um, does this meet their cultural uh, system um, are are workers protected um, you know are there ways to ensure equity um, what about access you know is it just for the people who can buy in or you know is there something for the next generation so we started looking at all that too and that was our third stool um We didn't, we didn't fall off it yet.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And all of those kind of point in a direction that again, highlights this question of autonomy. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking that for a long time, for generations, really, we've kind of gotten used to this world where a few really well-educated people who went to good fisheries and, you know, biology training programs at good universities go around the world and tell everyone else how high to jump. Um, your fishery's broken. Here's how to fix it, and and do it with a proper English accent, if you would. Um, <laughs> you know, um, what what's what's wrong with that model?
1: Um, you know, I, I'm I'm gonna um, assume goodwill. You know, and 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 I'm gonna say that um, it was what the folks. With the capacity knew how to do, and um, I, you know, I don't, I won't say that it's broken, but I, there were places that it just couldn't work. Not that it didn't work, but that it just couldn't.
0: Um, Let's go for a minute. Give me, give me some examples of places where that approach couldn't work, and you, you, you really need to have a kind of. Self-defined solutions.
1: Well, e- even places where there are universities and science centers and stock assessments. Um, so, for example, you know, in the Northeast of the United States, where we had a century, more two, nearly two uh, centuries of, of fishery history and management and fishing and, and so on. And um, despite stock assessments and science, we crashed ground fish. And after that happened, you know, there were some you know tightening up and tamping down and you know, crushing the <laughs> the allowable catch and so on. But it wasn't, you know it it left too many people out, even with, you know new attempts like the you know allocation by the smaller, lo- more local organizations. And so some communities opted to invent something new. Um, for example, in Maine, you know, switching from groundfish to redfish. It was kind of, you know, I hate using the word underutilized, but, you know, it wasn't a big market seller. It wasn't something everybody knew about, but they figured out a way to catch local, market local, sell local, and, and, They're doing okay in a smaller way. Um, Another example, um, you know, Indonesia. You have really small-scale fisheries scattered across one of the largest EEZs on the planet. And yet, these very small-scale fisheries are the top contributors to wild-capture fish landings. And the country has, over the years... um, not on their distant water tuna fleets, but on this small scale stuff, um, they have pushed management down to you know further and further away from centralized. You know, there are districts, um, there are more local, uh, you know, observers and monitors and so on. And I mean, there's certainly a capacity gap there, but that but that doesn't mean that they aren't figuring it out for themselves um other examples um you know in the in the pacific islands you know instead of leasing their ocean riches to distant water fleets they're making sub-regional agreements and getting into rfmos where you know they have fleets that enable them to catch top market species like tuna and um Anyway, we could go on and on. I could give you lots of examples. Um, you know, fisheries in Alaska have found little tiny ways and little and really big industrial ways to tailor fisheries um, to what the the operators of those you know those harvesters you know to tailor it to what they need to do.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. I I want to dig in a little bit on data poor fisheries because they represent a really significant challenge. And, you know, it partly as a function of climate change. Uh, We seem to be seeing uh, more and more requirements to get more and more detailed real time, high resolution data. I mean, some of the work I do is is contributing to that. And uh, the, uh, the, I mean, the underlying picture. It's like you know, if you break your kidney and you have to do all the thinking your kidney does. Uh, I mean, it, it, it's an incredible demand uh, to put on something as meager as a brain. And uh, we it, we now have um, this uh, this world where uh, we've got to figure out how to manage fisheries that don't have that data, don't have the money to produce it and uh, still have to be managed under under stresses they've never faced before. Uh, Can the fisheries governance tool help them, and how?
1: Um, That was one of the issues that came roaring out at us at our workshop, you know, when we brought in the experts to critique the tool. Uh, We had... You know, created a couple of rows and a couple of columns for data poor fisheries to just you know have a tick box. You know, did you think about this? Um, but our participants gave us ideas about you know how to do it, um, and you know there are a lot of um, procedures and tools and and mechanisms and methodologies for. Um, doing rapid assessments and this and that and the other. but in terms of the tool itself, you know, you know, which largely depends on access to databases, you know where you can download you know landings over time and stuff. Um, what our uh, reviewers suggested was you know y- you've got to create the ability for the user of the tool to do some non, not non-objective, but to do some uh, non-data-based um, gathering of information. And they, uh, you know, suggested and and actually, you know, insisted upon <laughs> um, being able to enter into the tool the results of expert interviews. Um, so, you know, one of the other, one of the um, papers and, and research uh, that we relied on heavily to uh, build our framework was um, the Melnichuk paper out of UW, and that's what their theirs is based on. And they they do many of the same indicators, you know, policy and governance and da 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 da, as well as uh, performance of the fishery, and and it's all done with interviews of um, key people who are reliable and, you know, that you can assume are not going to lie to you about uh, what's going on in that country. Um, uh, so we, um, we've done two rounds of scoring with the tool and um, have been able to integrate uh, those non-data uh, interviews and observations and assessments into the tool and into the output of it.
0: So it, it, it in effect, a non-quantitative approach. Yeah, 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 um, which is rare in classical fishery management, um, and maybe necessary as we go further and further into this kind of high climate stress world. I don't know. Suzanne, it's the future. Say it's 12 years from now. Uh, you're kicking back in your easy chair. You're drinking pina coladas. You're watching the ocean rise and start to reclaim the valleys around Rapid City. You're looking forward to seeing your pet plesiosaurs recolonize the region around you. You're, uh, uh, at your red phone <laughs> ring. Uh, it's the new president of the United States, Amanda Gorman. She is the first inaugural poet, the first black woman, and maybe the first fashion model to become president of the United States. And she rings on your red phone. She says, I need you to give the keynote at a global conference on whether the fisheries governance tool actually worked. How will you determine whether it delivered the goods? Are there five signs you'll be looking for to figure out if people actually used your tool?
1: Well, I'm going to ask for six, because the first one really doesn't have to do with the tool. It has to do with your beautiful vision of 12 years from now. There is going to be a YouTube channel for Slam Poetry Sea shanties.
0: Perfect. I'm okay. there. Yeah. I'm, I'm drafting you to join me.
1: <laughs> um, so uh, did people use this tool? Um, At a a kind of national level, whether nations and communities are law-based, traditional, or collaborative, we will have seen progress toward policies that embrace the precautionary principle, that are based on science, and that foster equity and environmental justice in access to ocean resources. At every level, Um, we will have seen investments that support the enabling factors for fishery management and fishery performance. So um, investments in education, in research, um, mechanisms for cost recovery. So you can finance vessels and personnel and technology and enforcement and all those things. And real stakeholder engagement, not thank you for sharing your views, buzz off. Or not, you know, we're going to do this consultation with traditional elders, but you know that that knowledge isn't really factored into the fishery management plan. No real consult, real consultation, power sharing, decision making um, <clears throat> at a at a community and or at a fishery level. Um, we're going to see stakeholders have a voice in the framework, uh, whether it's or cat shares or allocations or private quota management systems, whatever they are, um, the people who take the risks, earn their living, you know, make food and, and economies in local coastal communities, they have a way to have fair and equitable participation. They have access to the resources, there's, you know, safety and sustainability um, for the community, as well as for the resource. Um, We're going to see that there were a couple of really smart visionary practitioners who figure out how to make this tool work for aquaculture and they are going to just blow right past all the squabbling and nitpicking about sort of certif- among the certification schemes about whether you could certify uh, aquaculture products. Um, and I think, um, and I'm not a techno person, but I can see even already, and for certain, in twelve years, uh, users are going to find ways to adapt this thing for use on, you know, cell phones, tablets, you, you know, I don't know, beepers, whatever the tech is for capturing and analyzing information. In twelve years, I think, um, I think they're going to be really clever about that.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's a tall standard. It's a little like the Sustainable Development Goals from the UN. And I'm thinking of them all, maybe the highest bar is this bar for deep, true consultation. Um, can you think of a single case where we've really seen that yet? Maybe we haven't. I'm, I'm not thinking of it, but that's a, that's a very tall bar.
1: It, it, it is. And, um, you know, I, I think that some of the community-based management schemes around the world have approached it. Um, CDQs come close, you know, but that came with a lot of political heft as well. You know, it, it wasn't like earnest, <laughs> authentic consultation. It was more like threat. Um, but, but I, I, no, I, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, I, am not, you know, deeply familiar with Pacific Island, uh, setups, but, um, certainly, You know the folks who advised us about the tool had some ideas about this kind of approach and um, you know we're hoping that we get to do a pilot project there to see what we could come up with
0: beautiful yeah well I look forward to seeing it all come true what a great vision and uh, Suzanne thank you I'm I'm grateful for the work you've done uh, on this project and throughout your career uh, and I look forward to uh, joining you on, on that deck with the, the pina coladas and the plesiosaurs. And <laughs> when it rings, we might have good news to tell.
1: They splash a lot. You have to be careful.
0: <laughs> well, that was our interview with Suzanne Uticello. Thank you, Suzanne. And uh, once again, this is Brad Warren with the Changing Waters podcast brought to you by the American Shoreline Podcast Network. Uh, With the National Fisheries Conservation Center. Um, Very glad to have you here. Come again.